Alright guys, welcome to Sporacity episode 2. Today with me we have a new speaker joining us today, and we'll start on your end. Hey everybody, I'm Calvin. I'm Wesley. Uh, I'm Talon. I'm Ben. Alright, so Ben's our new speaker today. Uh, our randomly generated topic for today is rock and roll. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, we have some varying levels of experience with rock and roll on the couch here. Maybe we open up with... Uh, what kind of music we generally listen to? Just kind of get a baseline understanding of what kind of people we are based on the music we listen to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so, me personally, um, I like all, almost all kinds of music. Mm-hmm. But I'm generally a country kind of guy. Nice. Okay, I'm also on probably the complete opposite end of rock and roll. I listen to a lot of instrumental stuff. I am a band geek. listen to symphonies, so... Rock and roll is kind of not like my go-to genre, but I find it still really interesting. I'm really big into folk music, and it's through folk music that I got into rock and roll, like the evolution of one into the other. Uh, So I am definitely into rock and roll. Um, And when I was smaller, I was like into your kind of traditional rock and roll, Mm -hmm. 80s kind of just 80s music, right? But as I grew up and matured a little bit, it has definitely evolved into a liking for thrash metal and a lot of different metal genres. Um, but I will mostly listen to anything outside of like country or hip hop. Yeah, rock and roll, always been part of my life. Agree with Talon. Eighties is probably the best ever made. Best era. <laughs> <laughs> ever made. I mean, ACDC, Journey. They have some pretty. good I will rock fight and you roll. on the ACDC one. I don't think they're a good band. So. Uh, back in black. <laughs> so that gives a little bit of background. So uh, let's start on maybe just some some artists. Uh, that you like in the rock and roll genre. Obviously, not all of us listen to rock and roll mm. generally, but um, so actually, maybe a helpful place is what is rock and roll? Like, what is that defined mm-hmm. as? It's a good question. Honestly, like this is just me from history class because that's what how I see rock and roll is like how it's affected history and stuff like that, and how it was just such a different way of combining music genres into one unique style. Like it had a, kind of like some jazzy feel to it, but it also had like syncopated kind of uh, beat to it too and it meshed with a lot of younger audiences right and how it was so unique and i think the lyrics also had a role with that too and how um it was not as traditional and more i don't want to say extreme because it's like not crazy extreme but it's just but like for the time yeah it was, it, it was pretty thing. it was very different for the time which attracted a different kind of people right mm-hmm. because it was it was the era of you know we're rebels and like rock and roll is our avenue to yell at the government, right? Yeah. The, uh, the Rage Against the Machines is a band, right? So much mm-hmm. has changed. <laughs> <laughs> I think it brought about a great personality of new instruments that never was played before in mm-hmm. electric guitarists, drummers. Usually it was like um, other kinds of music, right? A lot of but, jazz. Usually, yeah, yeah. Jazz. Yeah. I think not only personality of instruments, but personality of artists, yes. right? Where like mm-hmm. the personality, like where you could develop almost this cult of personality and like a following of people who are in it because they love their artist and the artist could afford to have like crazy weird lifestyles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as the mm-hmm. times changed, that became more and more socially normal per se. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's another thing to kick around too. Yeah. There are definitely some crazy people during that. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm blanking on his name, but one guy at his concert bit off the head of a live bat and spat it out mm. at people. And uh, Ozzy Osbourne? Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. Yeah. Or it gets yeah. a little extreme when they're smashing the guitar. Yeah. 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 What a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, like, a shift, because, like, previous to that, music had reflected the people and been a little bit more conservative, a little mm. bit, like, 
slower pace, like not as crazy messages, mainly followed the social norms, and then you just get yeah. this outburst of rock and roll that just goes crazy. Right, which like the historical context is similar to what Wesley is saying, right? Because like the, the premier popular music prior to rock and roll, like in the you know, 30s rolling into the 40s and early 50s, was things like doo-wop or like, you know, easy jazz, like hard jazz really was not a thing like a mainstream cultural phenomenon. Mm -hmm. But then especially once you hit the early 50s, then you can see this transition from what Zayden is saying of this like more conservative, like classical, you know, relaxing sounding music into stuff that has heavier beats or crazier sounds, crazier personalities. How do you guys think like rock and roll is today? Like the shift in from like the 80s and to early like, 2000s, like what do you think it is like right now? Uh, I think it is a lot smaller because yeah. I think kind of the late 80s going into the 90s, was when the big four was like on top of the world, right? And if you guys don't know, the big four uh, are four thrash metal bands. So there's Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, and Anthrax, I think, right? So all of those are pretty pretty hardcore names, right? Like if you're yeah. like, yo, listen to this Anthrax song, you're probably like, yeah, no, thank you, <laughs> right? But these four metal bands um, really, really, really got popular in the late 80s and 90s and you know, would sell out every concert that they went to. Uh, and it was just this huge cultural phenomenon that literally swept the world. So I think compared to that time period, specifically with that genre of rock, um, it has been toned back a lot. What do you define toned back? Like, what do you mean? Um, it's generally not as fast. Uh, the lyrics aren't as gruff. Um, the, it's not as popular either too yeah, which is where i think that. the big thing is because those bands still exist and they're mm -hmm. like still touring and still like yeah. writing albums and music and whatnot right mm -hmm. but i think their popularity has dropped in favor of you know traditional pop music yeah. so what's the I difference between pop and rock then is, is there a combination of the genres right, because like, like pop rock yeah and like pop rock mm -hmm. is a genre right pop rocks are also my favorite <clears throat> candy <laughs> <laughs> i get it but you know where is the difference? Like, what's the difference, would you guys say, between the stuff that you like here on mainstream radio today and rock and roll? Or is there a difference? I'd say pop is a lot closer to, like, classic rock than maybe we sometimes think. Like, we look at, like, Agreed. Metallica, mm -hmm. like, Anthrax, like, all of these massive heavy metal, like, the, like, metal brands and genre. And that kind of evolved from rock and roll to become rock and roll. And I think pop is toning it back down to closer to classic rock. I think a lot of what today people, uh, kids and teenagers, they're like evolving to this new music that's being produced right now, like a lot of techno music, a lot of that oh, yeah. stuff that mm -hmm. they're and rap. They're like generally mm -hmm. they're being they're growing up with that instead of rock and roll like other people had in mm -hmm. the '80s. Uh, also, on a complete side note, like 30 seconds, Elon Musk the other day wrote a song. Right, yes, wrote an EDM song, yes, <laughs> entitled "Don't Doubt Your Vibe." <laughs> And the album cover for it is a picture of Mars with the Cybertruck flying over. <laughs> As God intended. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but I think, to answer your question, Calvin, the big difference is in emotion. Okay. And how you convey that emotion. Because mm. pop is generally um, a little bit more upbeat sounding, right? And lyrically, positive very and similar, positive. Yeah. I would say. And a lot of, like, pop music now especially is about, like, love songs, different, like, people's mm. experiences and stuff. Like, sometimes they tell a story. Whereas I think rock back then, and well, definitely rock now, but rock back then too, was, like, 
more of an extremist thing, like pushing like drugs, alcohol, a lot of that stuff. I think it deals with a lot more nuanced things, generally speaking. Yeah. Right. This isn't mm-hmm. to say that, that there aren't pop songs or other genres of songs that get kind of into nuanced subjects, but I think yeah. rock had a unique way of taking that nuance and bringing it to the mainstream. Okay. The thing is, rap also has really extreme uh, lyrics in it, too. Mm-hmm. But it's a very completely completely different style from rock and I think those convey those two different emotions that we've been talking about um, I don't know where I was going with that <laughs> <laughs> okay so then it's a question of like nuance of like nuance of lyric nuance mm. of I think you can have a lyrically nuanced song anywhere mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Um, but I think in how that nuance is conveyed through the personality of instruments mm-hmm. right because we have we have country music, let's say, right? Generally played with acoustic guitar, yep. right? That's the main country music instrument, right? Compare that with one of my favorite bands, Metallica, mm-hmm. who generally uses the electric guitar in a much different way than like a blues player would use right. one, right? But a lot of Metallica's most famous songs are almost orchestral movements. Mm-hmm. Nothing else matters. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. We have Nothing Else Matters, for example, which opens up with a really cool acoustic intro, right? Mm-hmm. And then it has a couple things where it fades into some heavier electric guitar stuff, and then it goes back to kind of acoustics and then mixes it all together, right? Compared to what a lot of you hear on the radio, right? It's that same kind of trap beat in the background and yeah. maybe a few chords mm-hmm. on the electric guitar talking about a love song, mm-hmm. right? And I sound like a boomer saying that, <laughs> right? But that's generally my experience with it is the nuance and how you deliver mm-hmm. Or if, you, or if you've heard Trans-Siberian Orchestra, mm-hmm. I mean, they use electric guitar, tons of drums, right? Mm. But they have they implement uh, an orchestra. Uh, yeah, like it's, it's a classical uh, orchestra. And they yeah. use it really well in huh. their rock music. Mm-hmm. Also, another side note, I'm going to talk about Metallica again for a minute. <laughs> um, so Metallica has done an event called SNM. They've done it twice, right? So they actually pair up with the San Francisco Orchestra to do a live concert. So they take some of these songs that are kind of based on orchestral movements, and then they have a legitimate orchestra play part of a transposed part of their song in the background while they they perform kind of the rest of their song. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's super cool because they all like dress up in nice suits and stuff like that (laughs) instead of just like jeans with holes in them and like Uh tank tops, you know? Go ahead, dude. Okay. So which that kind of brings up to me is like, we talk about rock as being like this big change and this big shift, but a lot of like, even back then, like, the rebellious people and, like, this new type of music was actually, per- like, had some undertones of the more conservative generation. Like, we look at, like, how they have, like, still classical orchestral movements in, yeah. like, these A extreme A really songs. good example of that is Paul McCartney, right? Who, like, when he was doing all of his work with the Beatles, the earlier Beatles stuff is still just, like, chords and basic love song structure. Right. But the further along they get in their career, Paul McCartney was a really big fan of vaudeville music and of classical compositions. And so the probably the best example of this is he collaborated with their pro- producer George Martin on their song Eleanor Rigby and they had a string quartet backing them up, mm-hmm. like a classical string quartet. Um and when you're listening to the song, that doesn't always register. But then when you listen to the mm. instrumental track by itself, this was something that Paul McCartney, legendary rock musician, composed. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can see how the things that he was listening to before rock and roll even existed influenced the way that he then thinks about scoring his own pieces. That's right. a super cool thing about rock is that it, you can mix your own style into it. And I feel that pop music nowadays, you get the occasional like really big song from like 
maybe an unknown audience. Um, un- unknown artist that just comes out of nowhere for like one song but then you have like your big artists but they all kind of have to fit this structure of what a pop song is and what people are comfortable mm-hmm. with listening to and I feel <laughs> rock doesn't really listen to those rules like it gets to just explore its own emotions and themes that it wants to and I think maybe nowadays people are not as comfortable with that Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think uh, rock has always been about not following the rules mm-hmm. and sometimes intentionally breaking them mm-hmm. right uh, and to Wesley's point, I think, and I obviously have a skewed perspective on this because I'm not a musician, uh, <laughs> and I just follow a couple of bands that I really enjoy. Um, but the music industrial complex, as I understand it, is very much rule and structure based, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you could almost have a check- checklist of like l- specific lyrical lines to put in your song, which of the four chords you're going to use for your song, you know. That depends on what you're talking about as far as like the music industry though yeah. because there's right. the music industry in the sense of the artists who churn out the same kind of pop songs over and over again like lyricists mm-hmm. or instrumentalists um, but that's not actually as big a portion of the music industry quote unquote mm-hmm. as listening to the radio nowadays would have you believe right mm-hmm. and that's kind of where my perspective comes from because most of the music I listen to is either the radio or my own playlist so mm-hmm. as far as, and I think that is the case for a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? So I think a lot of people have that perception of what kind of that gen- that general stuff is supposed to be like, mm-hmm. right? Because Taylor Swift has written the same song like four or five times with a few yeah. different chords, right? Yeah. Oh, I love Taylor Swift, guys. <laughs> the Taylor Swift canon is amazing and beautiful. And she has, no, because she starts out like as a country music singer, mm-hmm. right? And then over the course of several years, she gradually evolves into sort of this thing that we view as this pop culture phenomenon. But if yeah. you listen to her albums in their entirety, as opposed to just the five or six songs that they play repeatedly on the radio, yeah. you can see a lot of the lyrical nuance and a lot of the classical instrumentation that she grew up on being trained you know, as a as a country singer, yeah, uh-huh, notably, cool. right? I am an unapologetic Taylor Swift fan, yeah. and I think I, I hate that there's just these like six songs that are always played on the radio, and everyone's mm-hmm. like, "This is all Taylor Swift does." Yeah, and would you say like that all those six songs like pretty similar to each other? Yeah, or, yeah, the yeah. ones that they play on the radio are pretty similar because there's a marketability level. Yes, mm-hmm. the songs Agreed. that people would want to listen to on the radio, just like because yeah. when you aim to target a mainstream audience, that's such a big broad target audience that you look for things that everyone will relate to and breakup songs is something that everyone relates to pretty easily right yeah and i think there's a musical musical comedian by the name of bo burnham uh and he has written a few songs making fun of different genres of music uh one of them being country and the other being pop um and in his pop song he he talks about it's a love song right but making fun of love songs so it's it's already got that layer of nuance but he talks about how um you know you've got to make people seem as general as possible when you're singing about them, right? So there's a line in there, and he's like, <laughs> you know, I love your eyes in their bluish, greenish, brownish color. Your <laughs> fingerprints are like no other. You know, so all of these things that kind of have to go into a love song that makes it onto the radio mm-hmm. and has widespread success is essentially pandering to hormonal teenage girls. Yep. And I'm going to take this a little bit away. From and boys, for the record. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take this a little bit away from that, but along the same lines is that a lot of music, especially like throughout all of history, like has been very structured like that. And rock and roll was, while it still has some structure, it's the same with jazz is that it kind of has its own nuances and goes into that. Like you look at all band music, not all of it, but almost all band music, almost all classic choral pieces have like the same type of structure mm-hmm. like it 
being like created by music experts, it has a little bit variance in the chords and such that we don't see a lot of times on the radio. Mm-hmm. But it yeah. goes along like there's a joke in marching band that after you watch like <laughs> three marching band shows, they all sound the same, it's and it's true. very yeah, true very, because very true. you just look That's... and you can't tell the difference because they're so similar to each other. Yeah. Whereas rock and roll, like you get a little bit more deviation a little bit more mixing of it band identity <clears throat> yeah stuff like that that's, that's what i love about um rock and roll as a guitarist when i'm playing other rock songs and everything you can go anywhere you want to it, mm. there's no limits to it solo different chords that sound outrageous but will yeah. but will actually sound really good with another band and it's just you can go anywhere with rock and roll and which which helps with any kind of personality like mm. any yeah. person, any person could play rock and roll because you can make it however. Or you want. find a, yeah. an area of rock and roll that they identify with, yeah. right? Yes. And mm-hmm. Liking music is essentially identifying with some kind of brand band identity, mm-hmm. to to a degree. Obviously, you can have a wide identity for that. Yeah. But I also think to Ben's point is that all of those kind of identities make it really, really cool for other rock bands to cover each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Because there's there's this core structure, and then you throw your band's identity on top of that, and you know mm-hmm. you can hear what song it is, but you also get a completely different experience that sounds to something more that you're familiar with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one thing that comes to mind is since, you know, Zay and I were in band, we play pet band songs, right? And, like, a lot of them are, like, popular rock and roll songs, or some of them at least. And you get a really unique like band version of it so it's like it's not even like you don't even have to be in like the rock and roll band genre like it can be other influences or genres of music can take their own spin and i think that's just super cool about music nowadays you can explore stuff like that yeah and to that point also um lady gaga and metallica at the grammys one year performed together so you've got <laughs> Lady Gaga, right? Who is in her own world as far as music goes, or yeah, was yeah. at the time, True. right? Yeah. And you have Metallica, who also is in their own world, on the opposite side of the spectrum in music <laughs> at the time. But yeah. you have them come together and perform, and they thoroughly enjoy each other's music, mm-hmm. which is something that I is rather profound, right? Mm-hmm. Because I find myself getting stuck in this thing like, you know, rock music is the best music, country music sucks, hip-hop <laughs> yeah, is yes. for uh, <laughs> like street hooligans, you know? Ouch. Um, but the nice thing about music is that you can like such a wide array for that, and it can be a way to bridge gaps between people and build relationships. Yeah, it's always fascinating when you run into someone who you like is so different from you, and then it turns out that you have a band or an artist in common, and you're like, "Whoa!" Yeah, never yeah. in a million years yeah. would I have guessed that you are also a Taylor Swift fan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. speak from experience, obviously, for, for, for a friend. Um, <laughs> for that's a another friend. cool thing because you can convert classical to rock as well as rock to classical yep. mm-hmm. Nothing Else Matters by Metallica there was, it's been transposed so many times yeah, there was a great one yeah. by William Joseph on the piano mm-hmm. very great so classical cool. piece but mm-hmm. it was originally a rock piece made by Metallica mm-hmm. it's, just, it's beautiful it's yeah. really cool there's all kinds of meme stuff I see on YouTube too that just like take outrageous songs and like I don't know. What comes to mind is Crab Rave. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why. Crab Rave from Megalovania? Yeah, Those like, things, yeah. yeah. And then they turn into like a sad piano song or something like that. Yeah. It's all kinds of like completely outrageous genres you would never think would like mash together. And that's the really cool thing about like the modern day music is that there's mm-hmm. the internet gives it that platform to be able to perform mm-hmm. like also that. Also the ease of access to technology to create music mm-hmm. I think has done a lot of good. I also unfortunately think it has been rather detrimental to some some music areas 
I think it has made it a little bit less talent-based. Okay. Hmm. Which yeah. I actually, you know, I take that back. Maybe that isn't detrimental. Yeah, I but see that I as think rather like towards um, artists who maybe have worked incredibly hard to master the craft of their instrument and have their own identity and to express mm-hmm. how they feel through an instrument. Um, they can, you know, kind of be outweighed by Billie Eilish, right? Yeah. Who, no lack of talent, right? No lack of talent. Right. Well, mm-hmm. but you say that as though Billie Eilish, who, granted, does not sound like classical rock music, you know, it's not as though she is not conveying her emotions through her music, right? Which is where mm-hmm. I think that I disagree politely with that point. Because I think that the ability to access and to record and to play all of this different kind of music, you know, even for people who don't have all of the classical training or who don't know how to play electric guitar super well, is something that has taken away a certain level of monopoly from the music industry. Right, where previously it used to be you did have to spend so much time working and getting good at playing these instruments before you'd be taken seriously by a record label. Right. Now you can just show up and say, hey, here's this thing that I made with my friends. What do you think? Mm. Right. And I think that that level of openness, as far as just art in general goes, is really good because it encourages more people to express themselves in that way. Yeah. yeah. That, that's a good point. I think I, would, mm-hmm. I think I would agree with that. I would agree with that with a little bit of disagreement. Like, I love, I do... I do love how like more people like we can get more emotions and like you can show up with like I made this and you can express that and we're getting a little bit more diversity on our music which is something I love especially since music to me like has a big like diversity needs to be a big part of music or otherwise it's not really music but with that I think going back I think Talon was kind of right when it's like been detrimental because I think classical music has been like fading and dying off you look at like previously like bands and like famous choirs were what people listen to all the time and while like that's faded like kind of faded into like nothingness like mm-hmm. other than like wesley's involved in bands like a lot of unless you're really involved in bands and like classical like band pieces classic piano or classic choral pieces like no one really listens to those anymore but then it yeah. just becomes a question of taste right because uh-huh. people who are case. still people who are still into classical band music will still listen to classical band music in the same way that yeah. people who are into Billie Eilish will listen to Billie Eilish. But w- mm-hmm. at what point will those genres that aren't as big be able to make enough money mm-hmm. to stay relevant? That's the mm-hmm. problem. Yeah. Which, it's like right now, as I say, like um, traditional bands or orchestras and stuff like that mainly survives off of movies and video games. And like soundtracks. Yeah, both mm-hmm. of those are being pushed out. Like video games, not as much, but movies, like mm-hmm. whereas you had like the original Star Wars is Harry Potter where you have this amazing, amazing artist come and like write this music that goes so well with it. And mm-hmm. I love that about mu- movies. Whereas now you're looking at movies and like they'll just start playing some pop song that everyone knows yeah. and I stuff. Mean, if you look at the piano guys, I mean, a little bit off, mm-hmm. but like yeah. they start off with a lot of classical music. Yeah. But mm-hmm. like Talon said, they're kind of going to more towards the more end of pop in yeah, the, co- the culture that we have in Which society. has kind of led to a sellout culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Which a lot of people like to throw out the term sellout, you know? But, like, over time, a band will have to adapt to stay profitable, yeah. right? Or mm-hmm. even to the point to where they can actually survive off of their profession, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that there's no lack of talent there. There's no lack of, uh, you know, their desire to do that. But simply the amount of people listening or buying their stuff or their stuff being used 
to where they're okay. making money. So I, I have a thing to posit here. So I'm I'm a really big Bob Dylan fan, as I'm sure you you all well, yeah. know. Correct. Yeah, correct. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Dylan started out as a folk singer, right? Which is like stylistically in some ways similar to country. It was just him strumming his acoustic guitar, and he became really famous for like a specific brand of lyrics in the early '60s for being a protest singer and for having all of these gorgeous like flowing lyrics. In 1965, he famously showed up at the Newport Folk Festival with an electric guitar and blew the speakers off the place. And Whoa. his folk audience was angry because they said, this is a sellout, you know, you're, you're supposed to perform a certain way. This right. is the way that we have grown up, like we have grown up understanding this kind of music and now you're doing something different. And so his world tour in 1966, he toured with a full electric backing band and played only songs that he had written over the past six months, which were completely different from anything he had ever done. Mm -hmm. right. And every time that he would take the stage, he would be booed off. Huh. And so it's this interesting situation in which he continued to play this new style of music, even though it was not popular, even though it was against the grain, because he felt that it was artistically fulfilling. Right. And there were a lot of people who accused him of allowing this great tradition of folk music to die because he was the premier folk prophet of the day. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that he chose to go in a more poppy contemporary direction, even though it was in the face of what everyone wanted him to be performing, I think speaks to the fact that many times artists will go in new directions simply because it's the way that they feel they are inclined to go artistically. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's a negative thing at all, even if it mm -hmm. does necessitate sometimes moving on from older styles of music. And this is speaking as someone who's a big fan of classical orchestra and um, classical choir music. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't see that as a negative thing. I just see it as an evolution of an old thing into a new thing. And then the old thing, like folk music never died. There are still yeah. folk performers today. It's right. just they had to find a different niche than the one that they had been used to inhabiting, which I think is a plus side as well, because then you're able to figure out your marketability better and you're able to find your target audience and you're able to grow as a folk artist, which is a specific example that isn't I suppose, directly related to rock, except that I think the broader point stands. Right. Yeah. I don't think rock and roll will ever die. But it's definitely getting diminished, and mm -hmm. it's I, personally I find that kind of sad because I love rock and roll. That's like mm -hmm. my jam, right? I listen to it all the time. Quite, quite literally, actually. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is, as the kids say, my jam. <laughs> Which I would have the same point that Ben made about uh, band and classical choral music and band music and stuff. Because there is not only is there just like I love the music. But then there's also a really rich history in that. Like, we look at all of how Beethoven, how Mozart, like, they celebrated Mozart's something, birthday or death day the other week, and, like, massive celebration throughout all yeah. of Germany. And I think there's such a rich history in that, and that, like, if people stop, like, listening because they don't like it and they have different tastes, like, I'm fine with that. I'm just worried about losing their the history the history and how yeah. much that has influenced the world so another thing to think about then is uh let's say 100 years 200 years from now uh our kids going to be studying early mm -hmm. 2000s music mm -hmm. uh and their only experience of 2000s music will be call me maybe <laughs> um, i hope so it will be it will be call me maybe uh, Bad Guy by Billie Eilish, um, the Wrecking Ball song, uh, and something from Taylor Swift's Lady Gaga and Britney Spears. 
You know, if we just get them to study the Taylor Swift canon in depth, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good plan. Yep. <laughs> so I don't know. It's something to think about of what kind of music though. is going to persist as far as historical stuff goes, right? Because we, we hail Beethoven, all of these classical orchestrators and, uh, you know, writers. Um, but how much of them really gets actually listened to? The thing is, like, every, I'm going to say, like, music generation kind of gets its time to shine. Uh, Beethoven has time to shine, right? Mm-hmm. Their music was big during this time. And then there's a new music style that kind of comes in, fills in the spot, that wanted to, comes back, but it never dies. It always, like, kind of, like, finds its little niche to be with. And I feel like that happens with all the music genres. So it's just constantly evolving. Um, as long as the history of that music survives, I think it can be relevant. Yeah, and so. contemporary yeah. audiences are always the worst judge of what will survive. Yeah. Yeah. That, yes, that's very uh-huh. that's, yeah. I guess my question would be, like, I th- would it be, like, a cycle? So, like... Wh- Rock. I so hope it's rock. a cycle. <laughs> like, like, rock would come back in maybe, I don't know, 20 years from now. Rock comes back Taylor in, Swift like, just really reincarnates big. once in a century. This is wonderful like, news. I wonder how audiences and kids 20 years from now, what kind of music they will be listening to, yeah. and if all these different musical styles will be, um, like, keep re- reoccurring, mm-hmm. I guess. Which, yeah, we're gonna see. Another thing I think about, like the sad part is, like, especially like with now, like pop versus like older rock and roll, like older classical, older jazz. Like, is that like it? I love the artist's ability to express themselves, but it loses like a lot of I think the value that if we go more into depth, we can see. Like, we look at like Shakespeare versus like art or authors now, mm-hmm. and we look at like. Shakespeare, like, kids hated in school, but, like, it's really beautiful writing. Like, a lot of, like, yeah, John, yeah. John, I will, I will fight. I like, yeah. But we look at, like, older authors, like, um, mm-hmm. John Donne, Emily Dickinson, and we look at a lot of these beautiful, like, poetry, this beautiful writing, and I think, like, now, a lot of times, like, we get books that are completely worthless and stuff. Which not completely worth this, but and every artist has their own commercial. Author yeah, yeah so it, your, your point is well taken in the sense of you know like we look back at these authors who have survived for so long. We look back at people like Shakespeare or Emily Dickinson, and we go, "Wow, it's amazing that they're able to produce this beautiful, beautiful stuff." But we also have to recognize that at the time there were also lots of really bad authors. Yeah, yep. Shakespeare had a bunch of trashy contemporaries, and he wrote some trashy plays, too. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's true. And so, it, like, with the gift of 400 years of hindsight, we're able to look back and go, oh, right. Shakespeare, of course. But at the time, it was a crapshoot who was going to survive. The fact that Shakespeare survived is largely by grace of the fact that someone yeah. thought to publish his plays. Yeah. Right. Right? You know, whereas in the modern age, yes, there's this big influx of publishing, and, like, writing and music, in this sense, is way more available to both produce and to consume. And so it's easy to look at that and go, you know, this is all trash. But 400 years from now, people, whatever artists chance to survive, however they chance to do that, people will look back and go, oh, wow, the early 2000s was a great time for pop music Mm -hmm. or a great time for writing because they will only be able to see the things that survived as long as they did. Correct. And I will also get off on one brief tangent here where I think we have a contemporary Shakespeare and his name is Bob Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which that was not exactly the route I was going to. That's definitely an interesting point. What I was thinking more was like, we look at like classical musicians were so like 
educated, like, back then, like, those pieces were really just beautiful works of art. Like, they took so much time to produce. We look at, like, more classical authors. Like, they did so much research. They looked into so much what they're doing. And I think we're starting to lose that a little bit, Mom, with, like, the internet at our fingertips and with, like, anyone can show up to a record label is we lose, like, the amount of work and kind of the ability to appreciate how hard and really the true beauty of what had gone into it. So I think to that point, um, one of my favorite bands, again, Metallica, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Not a single member of that band had an extremely high education when they started their band, right? They started their band when they were teenagers. Their drummer came over. Their drummer was supposed to be a professional tennis player. Huh? Right, and the the rhythm guitar and vocalist was just some dude who bought a guitar in high school because he wanted to learn how to play it. Right, so he figured out how to play it. Then they hired their lead guitarist just off of like a newspaper ad, and was like, "Ah, screw it, we just like messing around." Right, and they just kind of accumulated a band because they like playing together, but they didn't have any formal music education. And it's interesting how many artists, especially like the big deal influential ones, are in that same boat. Yeah, who yeah. arise naturally sort of out of the woodwork rather than being enormously classically trained musicians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that there aren't those kinds of artists, but right. it's just that's, an interesting That's the cool thing I think about rock is that you don't have to you don't have to go through a ton of I mean you can. Yes, you definitely can. You definitely can. Yeah. But like a lot of those amazing artists never have practiced anything and they're amazing rock and roll um artists and like they can play about anything honestly. And <laughs> and they just practice by themselves. Yeah. Like and I think some of the beauty cool from that rock. comes from their mostly unique life experiences, right? Because many rock artists come from very different backgrounds than I say I came from, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with any kind of domestic violence or much violence at all. You know, I didn't grow up extraordinarily poor. I didn't grow up in a poor part of town. You know, I didn't have all of these angry. I wasn't bullied overly much in middle school. You know, all of these things kind of have led to a different background to me, but that hasn't failed from me being able to identify with the message that they're saying, right? right? So I would say if I were to write a song, I would probably most likely write a joke song, right? Because there's nothing really that I feel in my life like I have an absurd need to express. But back again to kind of the point of Metallica is that they had these experiences throughout their their time as a band that formed a lot of the music that they made, especially lyrically. And I'm going to talk about their song Fade to Black in particular, which is about eight minute, eight nine minutes, um, and it's a suicide ballad, right? It was the first ballad they ever wrote, which is weird for a metal band, anyways, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they wrote it following um, a loss of a lot of their equipment on tour. Someone stole millions of dollars worth of equipment, right? So you know, guitars were gone, amps were gone, a lot of their speakers were gone, and they were kind of just dead in the water with a lot of their stuff on tour. Um, so they wrote this ballad um, about not having the will to go on, you know, being crushed, having to wake up every day and deal with life and all of these things that are a unique experience for them to express in the way that they did. So I think to the point of maybe some, some more classical music, that's not to say that there's not emotion in it, but rock has rock talks about things in different ways than I think a lot of other genres do. Um, the same way that rap would talk about things that other genres don't. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's a chance for all kinds of music and artists for them to rise up. Classical music, it can, it can be like the home to that more well-crafted crafted kind of style of music and how it's more particularly made uh, 
maybe follow some more traditional music theory rules and stuff like that that mm-hmm. can be really beautiful we can also have the side where people just rise up expressing themselves through rock or any other kind of genre even rap and stuff like that so <laughs> even rap like it's some lowly genre of music yeah. <laughs> obviously I don't like rap very much <laughs> yeah but even classical mm-hmm. music because Beethoven right was not a great music theorist right? right and didn't have a lot of classical training primarily because classical training at the time consisted of literally living in a kingly court yeah right? correct right? yeah mm-hmm. and so he broke the rules all the time primarily mm. because it's assumed at least he didn't really know them and still you listen to his work and it is immensely expressive and mm-hmm. there's not words to it but you can listen to it and get a sense maybe of what he was feeling or thinking when he wrote it right. which i think is the power of music in general is its ability to convey these things based either on our lived experiences or in many cases not on our lived experiences but just things we think or wonder um mm-hmm. Which is one of the things that I find really fascinating about the, m- the mindset of a lot of lyricists is, especially nowadays, I think it's really easy to look at rock and roll lyrics and go, wow, they must have been experiencing terrible things in order to write that. And to that point, I think a lot of rock music has become similar to how I criticized pop earlier. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. If you take bands like your, your mainstream rock bands like Linkin Park, Right, a lot of their songs are pretty samey. You know, they're they're generally talking about the same subjects because those are the ones that make it onto the radio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, so I think rock has fallen into that, and I think it's hard for almost any genre to not fall into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which, going back to the point, I guess maybe my big fear about like losing this appreciation for cl- classical music is kind of like, um, whereas like a Van Gogh painting is so beautiful. Like you look at all the different brushstrokes and everything. And even if like, what about those no... frozen tablecloths? Yeah. <laughs> Am I right? Guys? Yeah, Same. <laughs> Masterworks of contemporary art. Going down, not frozen tablecloths, <laughs> but you look at like, like modern art and like particularly like a lot of things. Like I look at that and I look at a Van Gogh is beautiful. And I look at a lot of that stuff is just, Trash, I'm like, what does this mean? Like, a triangle on paper. Like, See, okay. sells for mm. millions of dollars. I, I disagree <laughs> with that very strongly. That's a hard time. I, I don't think, think I have the acquired taste to enjoy most visual arts. <laughs> the thing about, uh, like, let, let's take this example, and this can be applied both to music as well as the visual arts, but let's take the example of the Van Gogh painting versus, like, a Jackson Pollock. Pollock was the guy who just threw paint against a canvas and all of those mm. splatters, mm. right? Um, I was at a museum once, and there was Van Gogh on one side of the museum, and we went to go and look at it. It was gorgeous. It was wonderful. And then we went to go and look at the Jackson Pollock paintings, and I also thought that they were very gorgeous and wonderful, mm-hmm. but it comes back again to what we ascribe value to in these works of art, because Pollock mm-hmm. was also, in the same way that Van Gogh was sort of, you know, putting a piece of himself on the canvas, Pollock was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Their techniques were different, though. Yeah. And, like, Pollock still took the time to figure out, okay, these are the colors I'm going to use, this is how I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm going to arrange this in this way, but we look at it, and because of our notions about how he created that, and mm-hmm. how long it took him, and how much effort we think he put into it, then we're able to look at something like a splatter painting and go, oh, he didn't work as hard as Van Gogh, or this right. painting is worth less than a Van Gogh, because Van Gogh took all of this time meticulously getting the brush strokes, whereas Pollock just chucked paint on a canvas. <laughs> but, and so, yeah. it just... Boy, I hate this sentence, but I think the great thing about art is it's really open to interpretation in that regard, (laughs) and it's that you can look at a splatter painting, and you can look at a modern pop song, and appreciate them still 
for the value that they bring to people. And like, mm-hmm. there are people who listen to modern pop songs and connect really hard with them. And there are people sure. who look at splatter paintings and think they're beautiful. And yeah. at that point, it just becomes a question of taste. And I d- Van Gogh's yeah. Van Gogh's never gonna die in that respect. Like, no one is ever gonna look at a Jackson Pollock painting and go, "This is it. Splatters are in Van Gogh. Let's burn all of the Van Goghs." <laughs> right? It's just that now there's this new thing, and mm-hmm. we can look at that and go. We love this new thing as much as we love the old thing, and now right. it's just a question of finding your niche and finding so, your interest. So, yeah. what do you think has influenced kids today to listen to pop and rap rather than the rock and roll that w- that was back in the eighties and nineties? Like, I think public perception has a big deal to play on how we appreciate any kind of art, uh-huh. right? Because why do we hold Van Gogh up any more than any other artist, mm-hmm. right? It's because that's what we're taught in school. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm not saying that, you know, music teachers yeah. are playing rap hip hop all the time, you know, but that's that's just what people are into. And the more people are into it, the more people are going to get into it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think um, high schoolers especially have a unique want to feel zany and cool yeah. mm-hmm. and that's kind of the trend out right there now. and edgy, you mm-hmm. know, um, myself. Granted, included, right? <laughs> Talent Hinsey, famously edgy. <laughs> Self-proclaimed edgy high schooler. Um, but that was the same sentiment behind rock in the 80s, right? It was yeah. zany. It was out there. Mm-hmm. It was aggressive. It was breaking the rules. It was fighting against the machine. And rap does this. It serves the same purpose. Yeah. I would arguably say that I like it less. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, but it's that, serving the same purpose. That just becomes a question of taste then. Exactly. Because you're right. Yeah. It does serve the same purpose. It, you know rages against the machine yeah they're still expressing what they want Mm -hmm. to through that kind of Mm -hmm. music and so all the power to those guys and so to to ben's question then about why do we think that people are into this kind of music like rap or contemporary pop and i think it's because it has something to say about current lived human experience yes right people listen to it and they go Mm -hmm. i can relate to this or i can understand Mm -hmm. this or i can feel this and in the end i think that that's a plus side regardless of what genre of music we're talking about which is why i don't Mm -hmm. share zayden's concern that anything, like any past musical styling, will ever die out, because in that same way, I think all music that exists in the past also has the ability to convey this lived human experience and says something about what it means to be human, which is like a really big, broad, like, this is what it means to be human sort of sounding thing. But (laughs) I think the point stands that that is why we listen to the music we do, because we feel something about it. It makes us feel something. Which is why I think, again, going... Going back to Metallica, right? I was actually thinking that Calvin would be way more on Bob Dylan than I would be on Metallica throughout this, but I think <laughs> I think it's been the other way around. <laughs> yeah. um, I but, can fix that, don't worry. <laughs> uh, to to f- kind of go along with this thought of these current lived human experiences are why people like to listen to contemporary music like rap or hip-hop, right? Um, there are two songs in particular by Metallica. One of them is called One, and it was written off of, based off of a book about a soldier who lost... Um, basically everything in war, right? So he, his arms got blown off by a landmine. His lands got blown off by that, his lambs. Um, <laughs> the, the line in there is, uh, landmine has taken my sight, taken my soul, taken my arms, taken my legs, taken my will, and left me w- with life in hell, right? Like that's, that's mm-hmm. mostly one of the lines that's not in that order. Um, but that's hard for high schoolers to relate to. That's hard for most people to relate to. You think so? I think um, in a symbolic sense of, doing difficult things and living a difficult life. I think that is something, and that's why the song has reached success, right? But written in a time when, uh, like in the Cold War, mm-hmm. right? Kind of towards the end of the Cold War, where there was still a kind of a lot of this sentiment about war. 
Um, I think it had a little bit more impact of when it was written than if it were written today. Yeah. In America, at least. Yeah, right? If it valid. were written somewhere else, perhaps the case would be different. And the other song along those same lines is Ride the Lightning. Again, written off of a book about a prisoner in the electric chair, right? Which is where the term Ride the Lightning comes from is, you know, facing mm-hmm. the electric chair. Mm-hmm. Um, but we hear a lot less about the death penalty now than we did in the 80s. I think we, we people are sentenced probably less often um, than they were perhaps in the 80s. And obviously I didn't live in the 80s and I'm not sure exactly what those statistics are. But I can imagine that in those two cases where those, contempor- those contemporary life experiences were more popular at the time is part of the reason why that band was so popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Compared no, I can, to... I can, to appreciate, I can appreciate the point in the sense of I think when music says something at the time that it says it. Of course, it's relevant to that specific time frame. Um, however, I would posit... Okay, my turn to talk about Bob Dylan. Um, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so, um, in one of his 60s albums, he released a song called Visions of Johanna that is this seven-and-a-half-minute-long, surreal, weird thing about this guy who's in a relationship but is <laughs> like dreaming about another woman in another relationship somewhere else. And it's very strange. And there's a line in it that is, uh, see the primitive wallflower freeze when the jelly-faced women all sneeze. Hear the one with the mustache say, geez, I can't find my knees. And this is the level of just sheer surrealism that exists in this song. Right. Right. And yet I listen to it, and I listen to it in its seven and a half minute entirety very often. And I feel something. And like, I, I... I've never lived that experience. Like I've never been in the situation of the narrator, and I certainly have never met a jelly-faced woman with a mustache. But still, that's a real shame. <laughs> I think we need to work on My that one. Your wife. Um, but you know, like listening to it, even though it was written almost fifty years ago, and even though it is about a surreal experience that I have not lived, I'm still able to find a way that it directly relates to me and the way that I think about things in a way that was not popular in 1966, and in a way that it didn't resonate in 1966. And I think, too, is that there's a place for bands um, that are so out there, and they're so kind of surreal, that they never reach mainstream success, at least in their entirety. And a band that comes to mind for that in the rock and roll genre is Tool. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with Tool. Uh, 100% recommending you listen to some of their songs. They are very long, they're very artful, they're very thought out, and they're very mathematical based. Interesting. Which it's is very really interesting. interesting. Especially for a rock band. Especially yeah, for a rock band. But it's like also the rock genre, right? Yeah. Right. And what's interesting about Tool is that none of their songs reach radio without some kind of cut. Mm-hmm. And that's not because of explicit content, but that's just because they tend to be very long. Right, radio edits. Yeah. They, yeah. they tend to be very kind of progressive and build on each other and on themselves, right? But some of the ideas that they have is they have a, a song entitled Lateralis, uh, and it's based around the Fibonacci sequence. Mm-hmm. Like, lyrically, is uh, syllabo- syllabolically, uh, based on syllables. Syllabically. <laughs> that's syllabically. Um, so it, it follows this Fibonacci <laughs> sequence of, you know, the, the three, five, seven, whatever, how it goes, um, syllable-wise. And that's that's an interesting concept. But also things like time signatures in their songs change mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Like in Schism, mm-hmm. they have something like 40-plus time signature changes that's throughout the song. Crap. That's insane. Right? That's crazy. So it's, they deal that's with all of these weird ideas, 
but they also have songs that like if you play them back to back to back it becomes a 25 minute song huh. that was written like that that's or if you cool. layer three songs over each other you get a fourth song yeah right so all of this weird artistic math based stuff that this band does <laughs> doesn't reach mainstream success because it's not as marketable as say yeah. uh, I broke up with my boyfriend last week right and then you have mm-hmm. see my, my favorite out there artist I love they might be giants um just because they also write really weird out there stuff. Um, but it has reached a certain level of mainstream popularity. My, the other thing that I think of is something like Pink Floyd, yeah. which is also very surrealist. And also, tangentially, did you guys know that if you listen to Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon, as you at the same time as you watch the classic film Paul Blart Robocop... <laughs> It lines up perfectly. <laughs> like the music swells as Paul Blart in the mall is like defeating all of these evil robots. The music is swelling on Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. And I have to believe that these two things are connected. <laughs> that is a side note. However, um, you can listen to an artist like Pink Floyd where they have these same like types of songs that build on each other over the course of half an hour arcs right. or that layer over each other in fascinating ways that do reach mainstream popularity. Yeah. And so then it becomes, again, a question of, A, marketability, you know, and advertising and related other fun things. But you also just have, again, it comes back to this question of taste. Yes. Mm-hmm. What do people like? And if enough people happen to like one artist, then regardless of content, they will become mainstream. Right. Maybe sometimes it just doesn't matter that you have, like, a super huge audience. As long as you're able to do what you love and be able to express yourself and your songs to people that want to hear it, that I think that's a success in my book. I think, to Calvin's point earlier, is even to people who don't want to hear it, Mm -hmm. right? Because Bob Dylan came out and was supposed to be, uh, you know, playing some some folk songs, and he blew everyone's socks off. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Metallica had a similar arc where after they had a ton of mainstream success, they had like three or four albums back to back to back to back that were just hits, you know, they were making millions, you know, platinum records, all of these things. Um, and then they wrote uh, the Load album, um, and it's an awful album. <laughs> and they thought that they could have a redemption arc by uh, releasing the Reload album, right? Uh, which also tends to be an awful album, as far as you know, people who are fans of Metallica say. And Metallica themselves have kind of said that they, you know, they were trying to experiment differently with music and kind of mm-hmm. go down some other stuff, and it wasn't well received, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then they returned kind of to some of their roots in 2008 with their Death Magnetic album, kind of a lot back to kind of some of their thrashier roots, right? But to have a band like Metallica write almost so many different genres of music is very interesting, right? Because they, mm-hmm. they have things like Nothing Else Matters, right? Which is a, an acoustically based, almost orchestral movement, right? And then they have a handful of completely instrumental music with no lyrics, mm-hmm. Right, that easily reach eight to twelve minutes long. Wow. Right, they have a song entitled Orion, uh, which is like a f- four or five part orchestral movement with electric guitars. Right, mm-hmm. and, and it kind of just follows all of this. But they also have several songs that sound very country. Mm-hmm. They have a couple songs that are ballads. They have a couple songs that are a little bit more kind of pop and mainstream based. You know, like Enter Sandman is a yeah. lot different than For a song sure. like mm-hmm. uh, Blackened. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Because Blackened is literally about societies dying and killing people and facing like people who who kill your family and whatnot uh and you know fuel which is just an adrenaline junkie song Mm -hmm. right so Mm -hmm. 
you have such a, an access, I think, especially in rock, to just do a bunch of yeah. different stuff and, and think, have it reach people that like it. Yeah, yes, and um, Bob Dylan is actually very similar. He's gone through so many different radical career changes. He started as a folk singer, then he went to garage rock, then he was a country singer, and then he did, like, full orchestral band. He did a tour in the 70s that was backed by this ginormous band, and then he converted to born-again Christianity for, like, four years, and then left that behind, (laughs) and did, like, Prince-style 80s rock, and then he went back to folk music in the 90s, and now he does, like, weird folk rock, and his latest fling is covering Frank Sinatra songs. So he's gone through all of these big changes, and every time he's changed his physical appearance very drastically as well. That's another Which I think is really interesting, and, like, I I was reading an analysis of his career changes and the author was contending that one of the things about not just Bob Dylan but about rock and roll artists in general is that you know pre-rock and roll you have a lot of the conservative sort of music that we were talking about where everything sounds more or less the same and it's like pretty easy going and it sounds pretty happy and everything sounds like it's going great but then when you hit the 50s and 60s there's this massive cultural change that exists outside of rock and roll Mm -hmm. where we start to see like minority groups suddenly being empowered to have voices in things and we see like artists starting to go in radically different directions than the mainstream and so the artist uh, excuse me the author that I was reading contends that the way that rock artists exist now as being so having so many different facets of their identity is reflective of a broader cultural trend of us now no longer, like as a society, no longer having a cohesive single identity to fall back on. And how different rock and roll artists and their transitions are reflective of that. Which I thought was an interesting point. What do you guys think? Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. Um, And it's interesting how much success that an artist can have doing so many different things. Yeah. Right. And that's obviously not the case for every artist Mm -hmm. and some artists just can't handle it. Right. Like if they try to do something different and it's met with backlash, they'll just revert to what they know. Mm -hmm. Right. But having the option to always be able to find a group of people who will listen to music if you have a large enough audience. Right. Because there had to have been someone in, what was it, 1965 when he showed up with his Mm -hmm. electric guitar. Right. There had to have been someone in that audience who was kind of down with it. Mm -hmm. Right. Who was like, this kind of slaps, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know. I think that's really kind of the that's the beauty of it, right? Yeah. I mean, we even see that a little bit today. Like, I absolutely detest rap. I disagree. Fun fact, Ben Shapiro says that rap is not music. Oh, yeah. Well, Fun I would fact, probably Ben Shapiro is he's, incorrect. He's wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would agree that he's wrong, but yeah, not a big fan of rap music. <laughs> but we look at, like, Kanye West doing the same thing. Like, he had, like, uh, Kanye. Kanye West conversion to Christianity? Yeah, exactly. But also, Whack. being. Huh. I thought that he was God. Like, I thought we had established that a handful of years ago. Yeah. And so now he's like, never mind. I'm like, yeah. Kanye, listen, Kanye, if you're listening, buddy. <laughs> I love you. You know that. <laughs> but please, just, like, I need to know, are you God, or is there a different, like, just <laughs> call me and let me know. Okay. Anyways, Aiden, you were saying... Yeah. at gmail. <laughs> <laughs> we're all actually vested in that. <laughs> yeah, but you look at, like, all of the same, like, the classic rap, like, basically, like, we're awesome, like, all of, like, the messages that rap has, I disagree with quite a few of them but we it's look a, at like yeah it's a big generalization about yeah. the messages that rap sends yeah correct. there's but like as I disagree with a lot of stereotypical, stereotypical rap. 
Yeah, right. Rob. Anyways, mm-hmm. um, but then we look at like Kanye West, Chick Fil A. We look at all of his new songs, like, <laughs> and we just. And I just think like. So if you don't know, Kanye West recently converted to Christianity, and his most recent album I think is entitled "Jesus Is King." Yeah. And he also has sweatshirts with that label that you can buy at the Kanye West website. Yes. But it's it's Christian rap music. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I mean, Which it could have a good message. I, I, I never, never saw that character arc coming. Yeah, like, yeah no, uh, that was a plot <laughs> twist. Anyone who is writing a story, take notes. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I, throughout this, I was, I was thinking, I just watched Back to the Future number one with my mom <laughs> like, yes. like a week ago, and it was interesting to see oh, what was the kid's name. I don't, uh, I don't know what it was. Marty yeah. McFly. Yeah, yeah, and, McFly. Um, and he got up on stage, and they're playing jazz, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he gets out his electric, electric guitar, and he's from the future, and he's playing this new rock music that no one's ever heard of, right? <laughs> yeah. And just blows well, blows him away. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're kind of shocked. But, like, I wonder how they felt about it. I wonder how future people, future generations will mm. think about rock and roll. Yeah. I would have loved to show rock and roll to Beethoven. Yeah. I feel like he would have really dug it. Yeah. I know. Like, I although actually, technically, <laughs> like, like he probably wouldn't because he's deaf. But <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, just before he was deaf, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, but I definitely like agree. Not I think definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That's pun count number two. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Or I <laughs> totally agree. I think if like okay. Beethoven were to listen, to, like even if he can't hear, if he could have like felt like if Beethoven could have pressed his entire body up against yes. a giant speaker and just felt it resonate <laughs> through his body. Mm-hmm. I think yes. he would especially if it was Taylor it. Swift. I feel like he's <laughs> so down. No, I would love. To, I would love to see some rock piano from that guy. Yeah, yeah, that would be okay. So this throws me onto another topic in genre of rock: symphonic metal. Um, incredible. Art- artistically, I find it very incredible. Whether you enjoy it or not, is obviously goes back to that mm. whole tasting, right? But there's this band called Nightwish who kind of popularized this. Um, but they regularly use pianos, violins, cellos, and whatnot in heavy That's metal music. So cool! Uh, and it's a very cool um, just combination of these ideas. I also happen to be the fan, a fan, like a huge fan of female sung metal songs. I just, mm-hmm. I happen to enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, to 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 that point, there are definitely bands out there that include their pianos fairly regularly yeah. in their music. And those are some of the some of the hard like bass riffs that go into these songs are with traditional orchestral instruments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know a guy. There's this guy I listen to on YouTube occasionally, and he does. I think he makes his music digitally, which is another really cool platform that I think helps artists actually make music. But his, his name's uh, Peter Crowley. I think it's, I'm pronouncing it right. I'm not 100 sure. Um, but he does Celtic slash fantasy style songs, or like kind of like pirate style songs, uh-huh. and then mixes it with like rock such like metal and I actually really enjoy it like it's probably one of the more like harder more metal style songs I listen to but it's super cool because it's like an adventure kind of style feel to it as like rock and I don't know it's super cool it's like stuff like that that's super unique if you ever want to hear the better version of a pop song look up a heavy metal cover of it (laughs) 100% (laughs) obviously that's that's a big generalization but um, I tend to like a lot of metal covers of songs right Mm -hmm. Um, 
One particular that comes to mind is Havana. I don't know who it's by, but it goes like Havana, Unana, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I'm, I also generally am not a fan of screaming in songs. I think mm-hmm. there's an art behind it. It's incredibly difficult to do. But there's a band called Anchor who does some of some of these covers, but it's they take a lot of creative liberty with it mm-hmm. to this point of where rock can take something that is in the pop world and almost flip the meaning on its head mm-hmm. a little oh, bit uh-huh. based on how it's conveyed, right? It's the same lyrics. You know that it's it's the same song, right? But it makes you feel something differently, which I think is the glory of covers, especially mm-hmm. from different genres, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And one song particularly that has been covered like crazy recently is called Toss a Coin to Your Witcher from the new Netflix Witcher series. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was kind of like the hallmark song of the show. Yep. But All you can find a cover of that song in any genre of music you would like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? You can you can have piano versions. You can mm-hmm. have folk metal versions. You can have heavy metal versions. You can have scream versions. You have rap versions. You have trap versions. All of these things around just yeah. this one song. Mm-hmm. But each of them adds a little bit of a different experience to it even though it's yeah. the same lyrics yeah. and what's really what's really interesting about that is that uh, i use spotify a lot to like find new music because spotify like, is so, good at suggest- that i thought it would be cool. really bad at it yeah. but it's pretty it's good really at finding good. new music and i you. got a lot of that song actually when it like kind of came out with the netflix series and all that found it really interesting because there were like a bunch of different styles to it and i thought that mm-hmm. was really cool yeah which i'm not heavy metal's big fan or like a lot of metals like That's i'll listen shame. to them but i'm not a huge fan of them but I do really enjoy like, uh, like just straight, no lyrics, like just metal mm-hmm. songs with, like on piano and cello and all these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. It, that's just beautiful to me. I just love that. Yeah, I think part of the reason I'm drawn to metal music is because uh, it's easy to go fast when you're driving, <laughs> right? Which yes. happens to be when I'm listening to most <laughs> of my music. Um, but it's. It's such a release for me, which is a weird thing to say. And actually, before I get into this, I am curious on how you guys um, feel about how you identify to music, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if someone asks you, what kind of music do you listen to, do you give them an honest answer and or do you feel awkward giving them that answer? I always immediately tell them I listen to Bob Dylan. And they're like, that's cool. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> I have listened exclusively to Bob Dylan for the past year, and it's wonderful. Because, like... <laughs> I, I listen to most of my music in the car as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really funny because most people that I talk to who are also into Bob Dylan say, oh yeah, I listen to Bob Dylan sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because he's one of those artists who, like, the lyrics and the sweeping arrangements are things that people say that they feel like they need to sit down and focus on. Right. Right. And it's not something that most people I know would sit down and just, like, listen to in their spare time, certainly not as they're driving places. Right. <laughs> but for me, the lyrics and the arrangements have become something that I, because I've heard it so many times and because I identify with it so hard and because I find it so beautiful, it's something that I can get lost in. Right. And so I also just heavily advocate that the world listens to more Bob Dylan and send people music unsolicited very often. But that's, that's how I relate to music generally is lyrically. And for me, the lyrics are not always, they, they often are, but not always something that I need to sit down and like focus on. Right. But just something that, it sounds really weird to exist in the same space as those lyrics to me is one of the most profoundly beautiful things in the world and is a way that I can both face the things that I'm dealing with and escape from them at the same time. Right. So, uh, 
I would say then that you probably have no problem with sharing your music. No, yeah. not at all. Okay. So what about you, no. Wes? So for me, I like, it's kind of hard to explain what I listen to because I listen to all kinds of stuff. That's, it's, I don't really listen to a lot of lyrical songs, so like, I usually like to say that when someone asks me what music I listen to. Mm-hmm. So I'll say like I listen to like movie soundtracks or symphonies, orchestras, and like video game soundtracks, stuff like that. that. And a lot of times I just find s- songs that I try to like interpret the meaning because like if there's no lyrics, you can get your kind of your own feeling from it. And I think that's what's super cool about that kind of music. But it's hard to explain to someone that's like, you know, doesn't really favor that music or doesn't really listen to it. Like, you know, listen to a lot of lyrical stuff. And so, <laughs> speaking, speaking of, <laughs> but yeah, so like a lot of times if I'm, if I'm in like the car with someone, I uh, don't really have music going because just start talking with the person. I've been having that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like, I, I've, I've, I find it fine if you like listen to music with the car and just talking about stuff, but like, I don't know, I'm not like totally like, I'm like, hey, you want to listen to the thing I'm like listening to and just like have it playing, you know. Anytime I get in the car with talent, I'm always like, rock time. The radio is yeah. nice. Yeah. What about you, Zayden? So for me personally, I'm a little bit of a mix of Calvin and Wesley leaning more toward Calvin is that I say I listen to country and I do and I love and enjoy country. But if you look on my playlist, you'll find basically about every genre there is like i have pop songs i have country songs i have instrumental i have metal the question is i don't i do not how much how much of that is consisted of uh, taylor swift Actually, yeah. 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 i think we need to go through your playlist yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. i do i actually do enjoy a lot of taylor swift songs not like mm-hmm. the mainstream ones anyways mm-hmm. but like i identify with a lot of different types of music mainly because identify one with the lyrics like Calvin and not exclusively to an artist but how many different lyrics I can identify with and especially at different points and times in my lives and a little bit like Calvin I'll like randomly send um, people songs like not that I think they'll enjoy or like that I think they need to hear or that they will help them out and so I have just a wide variety of music, and I forgot where I was going with this, but I'm, yeah. <laughs> what about yeah. you, Ben? How is your music sharing experience? Um, I love practically any kind of music genre besides country and rap. Not gonna, so country not, rap. There is a single country rap song. <laughs> the most disgusting thing that I've ever heard. wonderful. It's really the only <laughs> ones, but I love all my music. Yeah. I, I will say most of it is rock. I'm not a big fan of uh, heavy metal either, mm-hmm. but I, I, I'm a big fan of rock, and most of my songs are rock. But yeah. So I think the reason that I asked this was because I generally don't share with people with the kind of music I listen to, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. if you looked at me, and if you know me and you're listening, um, I, I've come around on this, right? And most people know that I listen to metal music, and they obviously will after listening to this podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, but generally speaking, <laughs> when, yeah, when someone asks me, like, what kind of music do you listen to? I'll be like... Oh, you know, I'll listen to just about anything besides, you know, most country songs and most rap songs like Ben, right? Because that's just kind of a blanket term. It's mostly true. But if you look through my playlist, it's Shinedown, it's Def Leppard, it's Metallica, it's Disturbed, it's uh, just kind of a lot of these mm-hmm. kind of harder bands, right? But when I tell someone that I listen to Slayer, for example, right, which based on just its name, which is most people's context for this, they're like, huh. 
bold choice. Hmm, there's this uh, good-looking Mormon kid, you know, but he, he listens to Slayer. He listens to Slayer, though. Sal and Hinsey walks through the halls with Q&A. Everyone doubtless looks and goes, there's that good-looking Mormon, Mormon kid who kid. listens to Slayer. And that, that was something that, like, I wouldn't say I was ashamed of, but it's like, that I feel like that wasn't most people's perception of me, so I yeah. wasn't like, and every time I tell someone, like, I listen to heavy metal music, they're like, huh, no way. <laughs> uh, so that's, I don't know. That's, that's kind of yeah. just one of those interesting things because I figure, I think it, if we go down this list, this row of our, our members here, uh, you could probably peg that, uh, Wesley probably does listen to band music. Mm-hmm. Zayden, uh, you would probably peg as listening to choir music. Country music wouldn't surprise you too much. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you knew Calvin at all, Bob Dylan makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I choose to view that as the highest compliment. <laughs> <laughs> and and a similar case with Ben. And I, obvi- I'm accidentally kind of propping myself up here, and that wasn't my intention at all. But it's interesting how we can kind of just judge people based on the kind of music that they listen yeah. to, based on how no, they actually, present themselves. No, actually, your point is well taken, yeah. because when I tell people that I'm a Taylor Swift fan, they look at me and go, oh, right. yeah. really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. if they know that I'm a Bob Dylan fan primarily. They're right. like, mm-hmm. really? <laughs> yeah. You know, and that, like, it, it fascinates me how we can look at someone and, like, based on what we assume, based on who we assume they are, or, like, the bare basics knowledge that we have yeah. of them then we can be so surprised when they're interested in things that are slightly different than what our expectations for them are. Which That's, is, yeah. to Ben's point from a while ago about why people today are listening to the music that they do, I think that has a large part to play with it. Because people are expected almost to listen to it, so they yeah. do. That's the sad thing. Like if, I mean, like if they enjoy it, they enjoy it, but like maybe they're missing out on something. And yet I the find most... that if, you're, if you talk to almost anyone, you can find that they have like a niche artist or yep. a weird mm-hmm. genre, and all you have to do is ask. You're like, yeah. so like, what do you really like to listen to? Mm-hmm. And they'll open up about it. You know, yeah. and the, the thing about pop songs is they give us like a common intellectual currency sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, because sure. everyone listens to them because they're on the radio all the time. And mm-hmm. so, you know, you're able to then have this conversation about, oh, I enjoy this song on the radio or I enjoy this song on the radio. But all it takes is, like, two minutes of questioning, and you find out that people are into weird stuff. One of the things that I find simultaneously the most fun and the most profound about music is how individuated it is. And I think that that speaks to rock and roll as well, right? Like what we were talking about earlier, it was there to break the rules, and it was there to change the way that people looked at music. And so today, I find it really cool that just in the way that we listen to music and the way that we're fascinated by different things. I don't know. Speaks to the spirit of that a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. hundred percent yep. agree. So we're going to wrap it up here. Good. Having you guys listen to us, <clears throat> make sure and shoot us an email, like subscribe, comment below. We would love to hear your comments if you're on YouTube and if you're not email us your thoughts, let's, let's hear about your niche little bands that you would never tell anyone you listen to. And we will discuss that at the beginning of next podcast if we hear any. So, yeah, yeah. so that email is sporacity at gmail.com. It will be in the description of all of those places. And we are interested to hear from you. So, yeah. yeah. Follow right. us on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Podcasts. Podcasts. There's about everywhere. 50 other little <laughs> tiny ones that yeah. I looked up the other day and were on too. So, just yeah. look us up. Yeah. Be much appreciated if you share this with everyone um, that you know that would be interested in this kind of thing. Uh, This is Zane's senior project, so we want to get this out there.
Thanks for watching. Yeah, not watching. <laughs> Listening. We're watching. I'm not going to yeah. tell you how to consume our yeah. content. But. <laughs> but with that being said, we're yeah. we're going to go ahead and go. Thank you. Yeah.